Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. How can you become a love cat to succeed in the new world of work? Hello everyone, Kevin Cruz here, and in just a minute, we're gonna talk about how to win business and influence friends. But first, congratulations on being the CEO of your future. Content people seek out entertainment, ambitious people seek out education. And ambition sometimes has a negative connotation, but to me, ambition just means you wanna make a difference in the world. You wanna become more so you can make a greater impact. Please tell your friends and family members, all they need to do is listen to the LeadX show because it's the smartest way to start their day. And don't forget, you can download our ebook, Richard Branson's Seven Secrets to Leadership, at leadx.org forward slash Branson. And our quick career tip today is be a storyteller. Facts and figures are forgotten, but stories are remembered and they're retold. Logic is used to justify a decision, but decisions are made from emotion. So if you're on a job interview, don't just tell them you're a team player, tell them a story about the time you rallied a team to success. If you're in sales, don't just say you help companies reduce their printing costs, tell them a story about how you helped a specific company. Even if you're an accountant, you're the CFO, don't just talk about invoices and cash flow. Tell a story about a company that ran out of cash. Tell stories. Now, our guest today, I'm very excited. He spent most of his early career on the cutting edge of innovation and change. He was an early member of Mark Cuban's Broadcast.com. And after Yahoo acquired the company, he rose to chief solutions officer. Today, he's one of the top rated speakers on the lecture circuit. He's written several bestsellers, including Deal Storming, Today We Are Rich, and Likeability Factor. But today, we're going to talk about his blockbuster, Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. Our guest is Tim Sanders. Tim, welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be with you, Kevin. So we're going to talk about Love is the Killer app in just a minute. But first, I want you to tell us a story. Tell us about a time when you failed, because we want to learn the lesson that you learned. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think for me personally, um, there was a time in my career, uh, I was working at Pat Summerall Productions, and you know, what happened for me, Kevin, is after being in that role as a director sales manager for seven years, this goes back uh, to the early 1990s, I'd become really burned out. And when I say burned out, I mean burned out in my love for the job, the people that I work with every day, and the management team that I worked for. And I let it get the best of me. I mean, I really did. I don't know if it was ego economics or just sheer exhaustion, but I saw my performance decline fast in a year where I became very high conflict with my own management team. And I saw a dramatic rise in turnover amongst the sales team. And that was a situation where I hit career rock bottom. Fortunately for me, just the next year, um, I came into contact with an opportunity with Mark Cuban startup, which at the time was called AudioNet. Later, it became broadcast.com. And I'll never forget one of his key mantras about business. It's make love, not war. And when I first heard that and went to work for him, I realized 
that the reason I had had such a downfall at the production studio in the last job wasn't really because I'd burned out. It wasn't really uh, because I, quote, lost the love. It's because I was in the wrong culture. Mm. I was in a culture of measured performance, and I went to work for a culture of love. And I realized that's where I always needed to be. And since that day and since that situation, I've always chosen to be belong to something because it fits my values. And I've always given people the same advice. Wow, that's incredible. And I didn't realize that your origin story, part of your origin story comes back from from uh, this this saying of Mark Cuban. That's really great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I it was very refreshing. I would never work for a guy who so desperately wanted the customer to be happy with their decision to choose us. And that's what he meant. Make love, not war. Find out what your customer wants and give it to them consistently. And he would tear up the invoice mm. for a broadcast. We'd spent thousands of dollars to organize if for whatever reason we'd set the wrong expectation or not executed flawlessly. And it taught us all a lesson because in an organization, Kevin, culture is like the operating system. It gives everybody the intuition about what they're supposed to do even when the boss is not around because culture is, quote, how we do things here. And it's a really important part of any organization. I love that analogy. Culture is the operating system. Mm -hmm. and, and Tim, we're going to dive deeper into some of these ideas in Love is the Killer app. But selfishly, I want to start with a, a, a sort of an inside baseball question. Because when we first met, it was a few years ago in uh, Austin, Texas at an uh, author's conference hosted by 800 CEO Reed. Sure, I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you were sharing, you know, a lot of great ideas, very futuristic ideas about the publishing industry and books and what it means to be an author. And I can't remember. I might, that might might have been, oh, geez, almost five years ago or something like that now. Yeah. Where do you see the author business, the publishing business these days going? Well, I mean, reports of publishing's death are greatly <laughs> exaggerated, right? Um, here's a few things. I see publishers continuing to be relevant, but to a smaller number of potential authors. So if you are an author with a significant platform, you're very flexible about what you're going to write about. Publishers can bring you really good editorial design and to some extent distribution resources. Um, but when I first started, I go back all the way to 1999 when I saw or 2000 when I signed my first book deal, um, publishers were a solution to get your message to the market. And over the course of 17 years, incredible self-publishing tools, Amazon CreateSpace, Fast Pencil Publishing, you name it, have come along and commoditized some of those publishing services like editorial, like book design, and to some extent like distribution. You and I both know that when you see a book in Hudson's News, it's there because the author paid for it to be there or the publisher paid for it to be there, but it's an equal opportunity opportunity. So <laughs> my message is smaller market for publishers with respect to the authors that get value, but they, they continue to be relevant. I I did this last book, Deal Storming, with Penguin Random House, and I'm excited about that decision. And they've brought a lot of value to the table for me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think uh, we might be entering into an age of sort of hybrid authors where depending on the book, depending on the audience, we will choose to go to traditional publishers and other times we might choose to go independent. Yeah, you know, Michael Bunger Stainer had a classic case study of that, right? So he did three books on great work and they had okay results. He, he's saying this, they had okay results. Right, right. And then he had the idea for his fourth book called The Coaching Habit. 
but he kind of knew in the back of his mind that his publisher would talk him out of it because it was such <laughs> a specific book about asking questions, such a specific book, um, you know, about what his book, his company, Box of Crayons did. So he just decided to self-publish it. And he sold hundreds of thousands of copies over the course of the first year. And I believe the reason why that's true is because the, the number one rule of marketing when it comes to your book is to write a book from the heart that works. Mm. Because if the reader gets real value out of the book and it produces an emotional response, they'll tell everybody about it. And after you take your foot off the promotion gas, the book will keep on going. Yeah, he. I had a chance to uh, to interview Michael not long ago, and, and you're right. I mean that that book has become the best selling coaching book, uh, which is a pretty popular topic in business. Mm-hmm. In, you know the last the last couple of years, and you can't really encounter Michael, you know, whether it's in person or through a podcast interview. Without, you know, he just has this infectious enthusiasm for the topic and for life. And I, I'm sure he, that there are all kinds of people who don't even really need to learn how to coach, but are out, buy, you know, they went out and bought a copy of that yeah. just because he's got that emotional yeah. connection to it. I think that's an important point. Absolutely. So, Tim, I wanted you on today to talk more about Love is the Killer app. And, you know, love isn't something that most people talk about in business or or at work. In fact, I would even say most big business people that I've encountered, you know, they would be uncomfortable with a conversation about love, whether it's loving each other. Maybe they would say love your, your customers. You're saying we all need to be love cats. So what's a love cat and where do we begin? Well, When I say love in the business world, what I mean is that you want to promote the success of other people. It's a feeling you have. It's an emotional feeling. And you say, I want to help Kevin be successful. And it's a feeling you act on. So you help Kevin become successful by sharing the intangibles that you possess that are of your greatest value. You share your knowledge to help the other person get to the next level. You share your network of relationships to help them solve their greatest challenges and find true opportunities. And most importantly, you share your human compassion. You truly care about them as a person. You hurt when they hurt, yet you know how to be empathetic when it's time to be powerless. When you share these three intangibles, you are, quote, sharing and showing the love. And that's what I mean. And love is a difficult word for us to use. Just like talking about death is a difficult subject for us all to to grasp. But I think a lot of leaders, they just misunderstand love. They think love means I'm going to be nice to you, (laughs) right? I'm going to let you run over me. I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to look the other way when you break the rules. And that's not what love is. I mean, I want you to think about your grandmother. I'm not yours, but I mean, in general terms, grandmother loves you deeply, but she will hold you accountable to learn when she takes the time to teach you. And she will take you out behind the woodshed, so to speak, uh, when you go against her wishes and don't keep your promises. So I believe with, with true love, we hold people accountable. And so I think once leaders understand that love is that intelligent sharing of one's intangibles to help another person succeed, I think they can embrace it and they can make it the thing that separates them from every other leader that they know. Excellent. And you, you bring to mind uh, words of Doug Conan, who used to be CEO of Campbell Soup. And he oh, talks, yeah, I know him. Yeah. Great yeah. T- talks about tough on standards, tender hearted on people and, and exactly what you're saying, Tim, just because, you know, you can love your people and you can support them doesn't mean you're not holding people accountable. People want to be held to that high standard. 
Absolutely. In Love is the Killer Out, I point this out early. I say, you know, there's a difference between personal love and professional love, right? Personal love, Eric Fromm, the great psychologist, philosopher said, you know, when we care about somebody, that's a selfless promotion of other people's happiness and well-being. That's what that is. Mm. Sometimes you can be very sacrificial. Um, You don't have to think long term. Uh, It's the way you might feel about your kid or your best friend. And that is not what I mean in professional terms. And here's why. We all have a social contract at work, and that is to keep the lights on, right? And keep the organization afloat for the sake of everyone else. And as a result, it's a balancing act. And so, you know, Doug's got it right. And we've got to be tough on standards, values, quality measurements. We got to do that to keep the lights on. But at the same time, um, we need to deeply care about the success of those that entrust us with their lives. And when you put it all together, it really jives with Napoleon Bonaparte's philosophy um, about field leadership. And, and oftentimes he was translated to say that the leader's role is to define reality and then give hope. Mm. And so it's always going to be a balancing act. But I think for too many people, we feel more comfortable saying, I'm going to be tough on standards and tolerant <laughs> of people, right? And it gets back to the old idea, you know, what's your priority? Do you love people and use money or do you love money and use people? And it is a fundamental decision we make early-ish in our career, but the good news is we can change our mind. I know I have. Yeah, love it. Now, Tim, on the LeadX show, we it's a short format show and we talk a lot about actionable advice. And you had something in uh, part two of your book that I loved as a lover of knowledge, lover of books, and you call it a cliff and tag system for taking notes, for taking the the pearls out of the books that you read. Can you describe your cliff and tag system? Oh, yeah. So so this is something I developed early on uh, as a love cat in training when I started to read a lot because, you know, we have to back up just for a second, Kevin. So the reason that I talk about this is to share knowledge, first you must possess unique knowledge, mm-hmm. right? right? For me to tell you that the, you know, whatever happened, whoever just won the championship, you know, what? For me to tell you that is something you already know. It's called common knowledge. I've got to give you unique knowledge. So that means first and foremost, I must become a student on your behalf. There's a decision I made 1997, 1998. The world was changing. My core customer was a retailer facing e-commerce oblivion. (laughs) And my job was to become a student of the game on their behalf. So I read books, difficult books, books that took me deep into the psychology of retail, deep into the future of internet technology. And as I read those books, I became worried that I would forget the most important parts. It would be difficult then to share that knowledge or transfer those specific ideas. So I started to take a lot of notes and eventually I developed this system. I call it the cliff and tag. And here's how it works, folks. When you're reading a book, you may come across something that you go, wow, that's profound. I want to remember that. It could be a, a story that's been summarized with an insight. It could be a saying. It could be a statistic. And then what you typically might do is underline it and forget about it. I don't. I use the blank inside pages in the beginning and the end of every book. So in the beginning of the book, those two to four inside pages, Kevin, those are like what I call the good content pages. Mm. And I I always make sure that when I I see something in a book, I lie, I bracket it, and then I read it, and I stop, and I go to the front of that book, and I write out that sentence, sometimes having to use shorthand to fit it all in one line. 
this is a memorization technique that's worked really good for me that helps kind of drill that into me, that, that forced abbreviation. And then the last two pages of the book are for things that relate to current projects or relationships I'm working on. So I call that out because that's kind of a different part of your mind when you read something and you make a connection. Right. And you go, wow, that applies to this presentation I'm about to give. That applies to this consulting gig I'm working on. This applies to the such and such account. Well, that's what I do in the back. And same thing. I write the page number down. I get the whole idea down to a single sentence, if at all possible. That's a system that I developed in the 90s that works well for me because not only do I do I remember more and call out more. Think about it this way. If I'm going to go meet with you and I know that my reading of Made to Stick by the Heath Brothers is relevant to our conversation, I can pull that book off my bookshelf and reread it, fundamentally reread it for the best parts in 10 minutes flat. It's like you're creating your own book summary of the the most relevant applicable points. Yep. And now I have to say in all fair disclosure, and I know I talked about how, you know, hardcovers are the bomb. Um, <laughs> but over the course of the last five or so years, I've, I've really been impressed with the improvement in ebook reading technology, specifically right. the Kindle format. So I find myself now reading a lot in Kindle. I highlight, I make a lot of notes that I don't have to fit into a sentence now to say, this is why it's important to me. And then folks, you can go to my Kindle, just Google my Kindle or Google my highlights Kindle. And you'll see that there's a place you can log in that has every highlight, every note you've ever taken because your Kindle constantly syncs to the internet. And you can go right to your highlights for whatever book you read and you can cut and copy those. And that's what I do. And I put them in an Evernote, which is my cloud-based document thing. And I put them in an Evernote. So now they're searchable. Now, the trick here, though, is that when you do that, you probably want to reread over again all of your highlights to get that memorization technique. But what I really like about this is not only is my library with me at all times on my iPad, so are my cliff notes. Um, so I'm still able to really transfer that knowledge, review that knowledge. And if I talk somebody into reading a book, I share my cliffs with them as they read it to pay attention to the most important parts. Love that idea. I, I've also fallen in love with the Kindle and uh, there's a few exceptions, but I do find, you know, just having all of all of those books, all of that knowledge, including the notes, you know, in the palm of your hand is very powerful. And for you purists out there, this is why I often, though, say you can still carry the good old, you know, paper leather bound notebook if you like, and you can always handwrite those. I used to handwrite them also, yep. in addition to highlighting in the back of my books, just because that writing helped to sort of anchor them in my memory. And I, you know, I like that tactile feeling of the notebook either way. There's no one right, right way on that. However works for you. I, I think the key here is the point of all of this is you want to transfer knowledge to other people in your life to help them become more successful or solve problems. And to do that, you've got to be able to put your fingers on that knowledge. You've got to be able to review it so that as you talk in conversation, you can deliver that kernel of insight that creates curiosity on the other side, because that's the key. And this system will help you. Later, Kevin, when we talk about where folks can interact yeah. with me, I'll, I'll include a link where they can read a blog post and download an example of my cliff and tag so that they can thoroughly kind of own that. But again, it gets back to the idea that reading business books like a student is an act of business love. You do it so you can contribute. You do it because you know that the greatest value you bring to the world is the value of knowledge and insights.
Brilliant. So, Tim, before we wrap up, I do like to ask our listeners to become 1% better every single day, just a little bit better. So I'm hoping you'll challenge us. Like, what's one specific thing you want us to do today so that we can get a little closer to winning at business or life? So um, we've talked a whole lot about reading and we've talked about the idea that that's the first step in building a great relationship. So I'll take another tact here. If you want to get better each and every day, I want you to set a new goal in your life. Every Friday by 3 p.m., I call it three by three is the system. Every Friday by 3 p.m., you will have introduced three people this week that should meet. Wow. <laughs> so what I mean is I want you to have a networking goal because networking is about giving. It's not about taking. That's called prospecting. <laughs> I want you to set up a networking goal that you will introduce three people every week that should meet. If you can, it'd be great if you could do it face to face or Skype to Skype. Doesn't always work out. If you can, it's okay to deliver it by audio conference call. That's kind of nice. You can orchestrate it. But in many cases, you may have to do it over email. But if you do do it over email, I caution you, remember, networkers are first and foremost good salespeople. Mm. They sell the value of other people engaging, right? So you don't just throw some introduction over the wall. Hey, Kevin, meet Mark. Go rock together. That's the worst introduction. You write a careful note. That says, Kevin, I want you to meet Mark, and here's why. Here's who he is. Here's what he can bring to your life. Mark, as I told you, I promised I'd introduce you to Kevin. A reminder here, here's his LinkedIn profile. This is why I think the two of you should meet. I call that the benefactor and the recipient. Okay, that's the two players in a networking introduction. When I write that note, the second I'm getting just like ready to send it, I stop and I call or text the benefactor, the person who's really going to help. And I say, listen, you are about to receive an email from me and it's a networking introduction I want you to act on. And they acknowledge that when they acknowledge that either on the phone or over text, that's when I send the networking note. Then if I don't see the recipient respond within a day, I call the recipient and say, what is wrong with you? I told you this is a good opportunity and I get them engaged. And then here's the secret sauce. I don't expect anything. I'll never mention it again if I know you two engaged. I'll never mention it again. I don't care if the two of you engage and started Snapchat and didn't even thank me. <laughs> I'm going to assume you paid it forward because assuming that other people pay it forward is what makes the world go around. That's what keeps you loving people over the years, over the decades. It's what keeps you from getting disappointed from people. It's how you defeat ego economics. OK, so so Friday by three, introduce three people. And Kevin, it's a challenge. It's difficult. And to do this, I tell you all, you got to change the conversation. Stop asking people, what do you do when you meet them? After you get through that question, if you have to ask them what they're working on, that they're excited about. What's your wow project is the best question to open opportunity doors, because if you listen they will tell you what they're working on, why they're excited about it, how they're doing, obstacles they're facing, mm. resources they need. And like a flower, the conversation will blossom into an opportunity for you to make a connection. Much better question. And Tim, I got to say, and I've, <laughs> I've interviewed a lot of people, including authors and gurus in the networking space. This is the first time I've heard that idea of before you hit send on that email, mm -hmm. shoot out that text or give a phone mm -hmm. call so they know it's coming. So they look for it and then can action it. That's brilliant. Yeah. You just have to believe that this introduction you're making is a game changer and you got to believe it so much. You just don't throw it over the fence. 
because it's really about sales. I mean, networking is really about selling people on a dream. And I don't mean a dream that has anything to do with you either. Right. So, Tim, I want to thank you for coming on to the LeadX show. And will you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and what you're doing? Absolutely. So we've set up a page where you can download 7,000 words from Love is the Killer app. It was a cover story in Fast Company, but I'll show you how to download that so you can really read the core part of the book and see if it's something that fits you and your leadership and your style. You can also uh, download the clip and tag system that we talked about on the call, as well as connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. And that webpage is, drumroll please, hmm. timsanders.com front slash lead x timsanders.com front slash lead x a custom value add with a custom url from the original love cat thanks again tim absolutely it's been a pleasure so friends you've just been mentored by the great tim sanders don't forget you can get all the notes from this interview over at leadx.org you can get all of tim's books on amazon.com or your favorite bookstore and while that's it for today's episode of the leadx show please subscribe to the leadx show on itunes and leave a quick rating and review it only takes a minute but it's the single best way to build our tribe. And until next time, remember that leadership isn't a choice. You're a leader whether you want to be or not, because leadership isn't about power. It's not about authority. It's about influence. You influence those around you with your words, but also your silence. When you take action, or if you choose to be a bystander, you don't have a choice. We are all leaders. So please lead with intent.